Welcome to another episode of Haven of Horror, and I have been waiting for this one all week. Uh, probably longer than all week uh, since I, I heard about these. Um, but first, I guess, you know, just to get some announcements and other nonsense out of the way. For some reason, OBS keeps resetting my output and input settings. So it, w it wasn't recording the right settings. That's fine. It's fine. Sorry, guys. This Don't isn't the actual review, and it's not the actual review, so who cares? Um, so I have mixed feelings about this because the studio who's producing this did the remake of Rabbit, which I liked quite a bit. That is a remake of a Cronenberg film. But this is set for a sci-fi premiere. So it could go either way. Who knows? More than likely it's sci-fi. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it, too. I mean, let's hold out hope, I suppose, but... Let's not get too depressed if it turns out it's another one of those. But. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about before we move into the movies is, uh, and if you guys don't follow Bloody Disgusting, you should, because they're a great source of horror news. I follow them on both of my Twitter accounts to make sure that we have news to talk about. Yeah. Uh, we have, un they have unearthed details for a Goosebumps movie written by George Romero in the 90s. And I thought this one was especially relevant considering the two movies that we were covering today. Uh, so Romero's take was to adapt the very first book, Welcome to Dead House. And naturally, it was a zombie movie. See, I didn't read this one ahead of time. I just put it in here because I knew we were covering the Fear Street movies. Uh, now I really wish this had happened. Apparently, he retains the basic scenario of the book and all of the major character names, but tweaks the stories in different ways. Uh, in the book, the zombification comes from, like, from Return of the Living Dead, which we will be covering here soon, because of a mysterious gas that escapes from a local factory. Romero makes the capitalistic origins more empathetic. The town patriarch, the wealthy Foster Devris, uh, has in death possessed the town. That sounds odd, but. Could be cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Apparently it sounds the... like it. Uh, very few ideas are like terrible upon like first go. It really just depends on its execution and how much you want to go in depth with it. Um, so who knows? Yeah. Uh, apparently, the house itself was going to be undead. Um, and it like feeds off the energy of its residents. And then turns them into zombies. Uh, the last thing worth noting in this article is that there is a George A. Romero archival collection, which was acquired by the University of Pittsburgh in 2019, and they've been hard at work on preserving lost gems from Romero's career. Um, it it makes me wonder if they're we're going to be getting like a lot of scripts that he just wrote and like shoved in the drawer. It makes me really hope that nobody tries to buy those scripts. Because I feel like the only person who can make a Romero movie is Romero. <laughs> but I could be wrong. I mean, I'm welcome. I open. I'm open to being wrong, but I just don't. I I don't feel like I I am in this case. Uh. So Milton, unless you have anything to add, I think we should just move into the main review. I think you were pretty comprehensive on it. Um. All right. Well, so I'm going to let Milton start us off with Fear Street Part 1, 1994, because uh, unfortunately Milton did not have time to finish Part 2, so I will be doing the majority of the talking on that one. Don't apologize. I didn't finish The Fog the, a couple oh, weeks ago, so we're well, good. Even so, uh, but we try our best, guys, to try to watch all these on a weekly basis for a good time. Sometimes we fail, though. But we're we both frauds. <laughs> But no, uh, I just appreciate that Milton is here every week. Uh, I couldn't do this by myself. I need someone to bounce bounce words off of, so to speak. Uh, so Milton, start us off with Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Okay. Uh, the original Fear Street was written by uh, R.L. Stein, right? Yes. If I understand this correctly. Okay. I, I'm not familiar with R.L. Stein very much. I, I know about Goosebumps, obviously, because who didn't as a kid? Um, especially with, like, people of, like, our generation or around our age group. 
Um, yes, but Fear Street is about um, basically the town of Sunnyvale versus the town of Shadyside in, like, basically Shadyside serial killers or just outright just flat-out mass murderers with with no particular rhyme or reason. So much so to the point that the town has, like, embraced this 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 depression and Sunnyvale seems to kind of like ache them on in some ways. It's I, I there's still not a lot of like details that we get because it's part one of part four apparently. Part four which is going to premiere on hmm? three parts. Well I know there's three parts right now, but there's gonna be a fourth part. No, there's right? two now and there's gonna be a third one. Okay, gotcha. Sorry. My bad guys. Um but yes. Uh, Fear Street, basically, type fear is actually based on, like, basically the possession of a girl named Fear, F-I-E-R, who apparently was executed as a witch in 1666. The kids, who are the focus of the story, eventually uncover more and more pieces of the puzzle of why these possessions happen, why she seems to basically gain control of these long-dead killers in order to basically take revenge on people who disturb her rest. And that's the general concept for part one specifically. Um, a character named Dina is basically having just teenage angst about her breaking up with her girlfriend, Sam. Um, yeah, just, but just based a lot of teen dramas happening between schools and uh, eventually they discover Sarah Fear. And, yeah, chaos ensues. They try to stop the killers from killing everyone, um, especially Sam, who apparently is the person who disturbed her rest accidentally. Yeah, uh, so this is obviously a throwback to to the 90s in, mul- in multiple ways, uh, I think. Uh, I don't know anything about the Fear Street books. Those were like the teenage version of Goosebumps, right? Um, And when those were big, I was still in the age group that I was reading Goosebumps, so I'm more familiar with that than I am uh, this. So I don't know if these are just pulling things here and there from different books, if this is an adaptation of a specific book. Uh, I didn't really look into it because I wanted to go in this blind and appreciate it for what it is. Um. Milton, you've seen Scream, right? Yes, thanks to you and a group of friends that we have online. Oh, yeah, that's right. This was looking a lot at Scream, right? Like, this is a almost a 90s slasher. Not quite as good as, like, Scream. Um, but it's looking at that kind of formula for a slasher movie. It's a movie that is definitely looking back at um, the tropes and styles of movies like that, especially Scream, I would say. And it has some self-awareness, but is not exactly as, um, it doesn't commit so much to the idea of this is a horror movie about horror movies, to the point where it almost, where it becomes a uh, dark comedy, so to speak. This one takes the uh, idea a bit more seriously, say, but still yeah. managing to try to be its own thing. Um, I, I had heard that, um. Oh, I can't remember her name. But the girl at the beginning who is that was the main thing that made me think of Scream, right? You start with someone you start out with like an actress that a lot of people know now and you think she's gonna be the main girl and then she dies. Um she was in Stranger Things, uh season three. That is Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter. I think her name is Mira, but I could be wrong. Uh I heard she was in this movie, so I was kind of I was kind of uh, amused that she dies like right away. She's like the open, the cold open. Um, the kills of this are really good, uh, but I'm going to rewind a little bit. Um, the mall, the because the movie starts in the mall. Uh, from if I remember it correctly, I just watched this, but I watched these back to back, so bits from here and there bleeding together. I I don't know if I believe because I think the idea is because they start playing closer by Nine Inch Nails. Uh, I don't know if I buy that a mall is playing Nine Inch Nails over its loudspeakers. Apparently Shady Side is rather... So, 
there, there's a lot of things that I could get into with uh, its overt symbolism. This this movie wears its politics on its sleeve, like quite prominently, kind of waves it around quite a bit. And I know that it does because not only did I have that feeling while watching it, I also looked at some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that the filmmakers talked about. And they're, they're very much for this, the idea of the political other of sorts. So I guess there's this whole thing about like, um, you know, like, you know, like the, the heavy metal movement, like kind of like speaking to those who were, you know, put on the outside in society. It kind of speaks to a sense of the uh, teenage angst or young adult angst that a lot, that quite a few people were, were feeling at the time, apart from say the in crowds or whatnot. And, but of course that theme of the other kind of, goes into a lot of different stuff. Um, Dina and Sam were lesbians in the 90s. That's another thing that gets into it. Um, You have the the nerd who, by default, apparently is just othered as well because he's a nerd and he's very attentive to these rather crucial details. Um, Most of the people are, if not trying to just have a serious relationship, are usually sexual deviants or drug dealers or rather violent in some ways. Not to say that Sunnyvale is any better. They are, they take pride in the fact that they're better than their neighbors, and, well, they feed into it as well. They Both communities kind of feed into each other a bit. This is all inside to say, yeah, you're right. I don't buy that a mall would be (laughs) doing heavy metal music, but it goes along in the theme that they're trying to do. Well, I don't, it wasn't the fact that it's heavy metal. Uh, Because that song was very popular when it came on, and it was played on radios. Sure. uh, Although, obviously, very cleaned up. Um, And keep in mind, in 94, I was two years old. So, by the time I was old enough to remember things, like, that song had already moved on from its popularity. But, yeah, that's a very explicit song. Um, And I would think you'd be, in 94, you'd be playing, like, Nirvana or, like, Pearl Jam. Don't get me wrong. I love the soundtrack to this movie. I don't know if it all fits correctly. Um, but uh, I'm glad you mentioned Sunnyvale. I don't know if you had this, but the first time they mentioned it, I thought they said Sunnydale. I did think that too, actually. And, and you know like, why we would think that. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a nice little reference, I guess. Um, yeah, and then they said it again. Cool. I was like, oh, it's Sunnyvale. Which yeah. I still, uh, I wonder if that's like a town in the books. Or if that's an homage, because this show, is, or this movie is set just a few years before Buffy would air. Um, Maybe. I'm not sure. I haven't read the original book, so I can't put a frame of reference. I tried looking at some of the differences between adaptations and couldn't find a lot of stuff. Um, I think when I, because uh, I'm going to Half Price Books tomorrow, I might look and see if they got a couple of those. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be cool. Interested. I would be interested to investigate how the it strays from the adaptation um, or how closely it sticks to it. Well, because if they're anything like uh, Goosebumps, I imagine they're just like each book is a standalone like horror story. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of agree with you about this movie. Is a, this is a movie about outcasts, uh, and it kind of captures at least what I think the Hollywood version of the 90s, like Generation X. Uh, yeah, I guess. I'm... I was born in 95, I guess not too far away from where you were. Um, I guess I was born in the 2000s kid just by default, by the fact that I was, I would have been four when, well, actually five, actually, when the new year would hit. No, four, shoot, whatever, math. Um, I don't know, I'm still, this may be depending just based on where I grew up. I've never seen a mall that has such a prominent, like, sex shop kind of like kiosk in a mall that was just right there and very accessible for people to look at like blow up dolls and all that 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 was also rather surprising to me that they had something like that present it, it just goes the question like what is wrong with Shady's side what is going on see I, I kind of agree with you except for it's kind of a plot point that there's something wrong with this town True. Yeah. Um, going back to 1666, which 
if you weren't aware, is the third part of this. Yes, uh, I was aware of that part. I thought there was going to be a fourth or something. But they announced this as a trilogy. Uh, but yeah, so basically, um, people start dying. Um, I thought it was going to be, because a lot of slashers are whodunits in a way almost. I guess I shouldn't say a lot. But mo- like, there's a good number of them that are whodunits. And with this kind of, I think, kind of looking at Scream, which is obviously famously a whodunit, I was like, oh, you know, it's going to be a mixture of who the killer is. Because uh, I didn't know there was anything supernatural about this. I went in almost completely blind. And then they reveal who the killer is. But it's not that simple. No. Because uh, he gets shot, like, right away. And I was like, oh, shit, okay, what's what's going on? And the story, the, the main story that is going to tie... I what looks like all three of these movies together feels very young adult, which makes sense because these are based on young adult books. And for me personally, this doesn't bother me, but I was curious about you because, you know, I watch a lot more horror movies than you, than you do. And I don't know necessarily notice sometimes. Do you think that the young adultness of this story kind of clashes with how adult like kills and the subject matter in some of these is? That's, yeah, no, you see, I was wrestling over that, too. I was also wrestling over how I felt about the characters as well, because it it's hard, because some of this is particularly brutal, even though this isn't this isn't necessarily some a level of violence we haven't seen before. Yeah. We've seen pretty violent kills. Um, but this one, this one kind of takes its time with, like, really just showing a lot more of the savagery of the violence. Like, we show it, like, in slow motion. We get to see the emotions of the victims quite a bit more. We don't do as many cutaways. We kind of see the action as it's happening in some ways to, like, really just... With with the, the camera work to show just how brutal the action is. Which not, not a lot of movies did back then. But this one seems to have, a, like, a bit more intimate look into, like you know, the actions of the killer. We'd like to turn away, but we can't. Um, in some ways, I like that. Um, again, it's difficult. I think it might be a matter of personal taste. I'm not going to count the movie against it. In fact, I actually like that idea. The fact that we can take this sort of seriously, I think, adds some weight to uh, the drama that we feel. Um of course, it's all dependent on whether we like the characters that we're watching on screen, and that I feel a little more uh, mixed on, personally. So, I... Obviously, I grew up watching, like, the 80s slashers, um, where the characters are all kind of trashy because you're there for the killer. But I have to say, I'm 50-50 on the characters. I really like the main girl, um, and kind of her... uh, Is that her name? terrible with names. Uh, the one we nope. see first, right? Whoops, my camera went out. That's weird. Yeah, the the main girl who's a lesbian. Uh, yes, well, I mean, yeah, I think we're talking about Dina here. Okay. Uh, but I really liked her, and I liked her relationship with that girl. Oh, are you having some issues there? That's what my camera... It's weird. But, uh, fix it in a second. Yeah, uh, Dina. I really liked her relationship with Sam. Um, I thought Sam's, Sam as a character was, it's a little stereotypical, but it's, the performance kind of elevates the writing. Um, and obviously this is only one out of three parts, but, uh, I thought they had really good chemistry together. And I could kind of buy that, like, uh, Dina saw Sam as, like, her, kind of her light in the dark of the shitty town. She hates this town. Her dad's an alcoholic. Her mom is, was she dead or left? I think I think her mom, I, I thought her dad left and her mom started drinking. No, that is in part two. Um in this one, it's the dad is an alcoholic because the mom left. Something like that. This, it's something like that. She has a shitty home life is what we're trying to get at. Yeah. 
and then she loses Sam, who is trying to be the popular good girl on the other side of town, which is uh, the good, I guess, considered like the high class, like good side of town, which is another running thing through both of these. Yeah. You have the Sunny Vale people who are seen to be like kind of crazy and because all these murders are happening. happening. Side, you mean, yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, so yeah, Shady Side is, get it, Shady Side? Yeah. I just put that together. I'm stupid. I, I, I put it together for like minute one. And it's like from there, it's like, oh, we're not, we're not going to be subtle about this at all. No. no I can't believe I didn't, I didn't put that together. No, but this this movie has like real. One of the things I don't like about it is that it doesn't really have a whole sense of any sort of subtlety about its themes. It's not trying to be clever about it. It's just it's putting it in your face, which I I don't know if I like personally. But anyway, sorry. Continue. No, you're fine. Uh, so you have this shady side versus Sunnyvale kind of rivalry, and Sam is trying to get in with the kids at Sunnyvale, trying to like escape her her, her life. Um, seems like she kind of has, like, a very overbearing, like, strict mom who is kind of controlling her life. Uh, so when, when Dina loses that, it kind of just spirals from there, uh, which I, which I appreciated just seeing, because it's not, you're right, this movie isn't subtle, um, but I think it's characters, at least the ones that you are supposed to focus on, you can tell they're the main characters, are somewhat fleshed out, um. In the, in the context, I guess, I don't know about in the context of just overall characters, but at least in the context of a slasher character, uh, these these felt more like real people than some I've seen. <laughs> yeah, we we definitely have gotten uh, better writing since quite a few examples. For me personally, it, I tried to get myself invested a bit into the struggle that especially the... Uh, the, the two girls, uh, Dina and Sam, were going through, and I got a different read on the situation. Dina rubbed me the wrong way completely, actually, in this movie. And I felt like that took me a bit out of it. Dina's character is very, even as Sam says, chaotic and, and rather uh, violent and destructive. Granted, she recognizes that Sam is not that way and kind of wants to cling to her. Um, but Dina is very impulsive. And one of the reasons that Dina is angry with her and actually just wants to act out against Sam is because she feels that she's being abandoned because Sam decides to go with her mom when her parents basically get divorced and separate. But I can't, but looking at Shadyside, I can't blame her for leaving Shadyside, especially if she's only 30 minutes away. Apparently, and we established at the end that they can easily visit each other. And it wasn't Sam that broke up with Dina. Dina broke up with Sam. And it's it's and granted some of Sam's uh, proclivities towards like going towards a rather sleazy boyfriend is not something that I that I would support either. I think that of course that's a bad choice that the movie makes very clear. Um, but Dina is almost goes out of her way to be antagonistic towards Sam. And Dina is responsible for the accident in the car that almost kills Sam and the people in the car. Granted, they shouldn't have been there, but I don't like Dina. And I don't think that Dina is justified in, like, trying to act like Sam's responsible for everything. Sam, it turns out to be more of a victim than Dina is. And Sam can't even account for disturbing the witch's bones. He just happens to be there because... Dina and one of the, and the other girl who I forget what her name is, the cheerleader, the drug leader, valedictorian, whatnot. She they helped crash the car. Okay, so I I kind of agree with you, but I also I I guess I'm and I'm not saying that you're not, but I'm seeing it from the character's point of view. Uh, I agree with you about the crashing, but it also is one of those things where I think both sides are guilty. Because the people in the car, including Sam, although Sam just kind of seemed to be there, like she didn't really yeah. want to do this. Yeah, I don't really think Sam had a lot of control over what was going on. Uh, I think it was her boyfriend. Be... Yeah, the boyfriend uh, kind of steered it. Steered them, like, chasing after them. And 
uh, you notice that Dina like backed out of doing that at the last second, but then the nosebleed kicked in, which I'm hoping they explain because they haven't yet, uh, unless I missed a line of dialogue. I don't know. I felt her read that she just got interrupted by the nosebleed, but she would have still committed to throwing the cooler. Also, she does it in the first place because Sam is there and she just wants to act out against Sam again and try to hurt her, which personality-wise rubs me in exactly the wrong way for me. But, yeah, and that's fair. And see, I it's hard to tell if she would have or not because the way the scene plays, she does hesitate and like it looks like she's not going to do it, but then she gets sidetracked because she's got a nosebleed that slips out of her hand. Yeah. So at least for me personally, I, since I don't know what she would have ended up doing, it's an accident either way at that point. Um, but I, I think by the end of the movie, she does realize that she is she is self destructive, uh, and you and you can tell that she cares for Sam. Um, Sam does most of the apologizing though, which I think is out of proportion considering how much Dina should apologize for, and she really. Doesn't? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's it pointed, but I do buy this sort of character. I do buy that this sort of person exists. Whether or not I like her, I do think it's pretty well acted. So and that I, I can I can sympathize with her to an extent because uh, obviously, while well, I've never done anything that crazy, I can imagine this kind of character like panicking. Right, like you're going to live with your mom who hates me. You're 30 minutes away. Like, we're never going to see each other again. Um, well, it's not as if they could never see each other again. They clearly established no, I'm, Spider Monk. No. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I can see Dina thinking short. this and spiraling. Because this, this to me felt very much like a character whose life has spiraled out of control. Um, you know, she doesn't get along with her brother. I assume she doesn't get along with her dad. Um, she's got like one, I think what one friend and that's the girl Um, herself. is not a great influence. No. And we'll, we'll talk about her. I didn't mind her because I could see what they were doing with her. Uh, cause she's really just there to be killed. (laughs) Like, let's be honest. Um, well, she's there for it. It's comp. It's weird what they try to do with her. Well, I'm sure. But, but, uh, yeah, overall I liked their relationship. Uh, it's not like a healthy relationship, but it's not like a beyond salvageable re- relationship. And I could see them salvaging. I suppose. Uh, the little brother, I ended up liking more than I thought I would. I thought he was just going to be the obnoxious comic relief. Uh, but he ends up being pretty helpful and like he gets his own, own stuff to do that isn't just played for like slapstick or something. No, he's actually, he's a crucial part of this, actually. I like him the most out of the entire cast. Although, I have to ask, how old is he? I, I'm i guessing based on where these characters are, I think he's 14. I so think, how old are the main, like, the main girls supposed to be? I, at least 16, I would think, right? They it, They'd have to be close in age, because they have a subplot with... So, so this is weird, because... I mean, the actors themselves are adults, but they, they're made to look like they're younger, as Hollywood would do. So it's kind of hard to get a gauge on it, but we do know that they're both in high school, because they both attend the exact same facility. So I that was my thought one or two years apart or something. Maybe that was my thought when she asks him to go into the bathroom with her because she doesn't feel safe alone. I was like, I understand why you don't want to go in there alone. But I also don't know how much older you are than this kid, like, in the story. <laughs> she is... Maybe we should tackle the events of this film in order for this to make sense, but... It... it well, she's... She's not a very responsible person. And she would be fine with taking advantage with people. Because even her friend, the the weird cheerleader guy, I guess... I don't really know what his role is in this exact thing. He doesn't wear a costume, so he's not a mascot. Or maybe he is, and I guess the shady side couldn't be bothered to have a real mascot, so they just have this weird court jester running around with a, you know, with with a doll of seraph fear. Um, 
but yeah, even even he says, yeah, she's not a nice person. She's actually very mean to people. And she just seems, I think she sees a lot of vulnerability in the nerd. And I guess she sees no reason to be mean with him, especially if she could, I don't know, use him. See, I, don't get a, I, don't, I don't get a good grasp on her character, unfortunately. It's It's hard to tell. See, I don't, I don't get the she's just see, like trying to use him because that in that same scene he even says well she must see something true um, that, I, I feel like I don't know because of and we didn't get an opportunity to know more about her which I feel like is I think it's a waste personally of what they did with this actress and her performance and the character that was present because they they just they put her through a shredder literally and it was awesome yeah. Well, actually, I guess it's more like a slicer, exactly, or what? What kind of machine was that exactly? I have no idea, but it was fucking awesome. Like, and she goes, she goes has first. It's a great effect. It's done very well. It's also incredibly savage. Well, and it was funny because I was like, okay, these are going to be our main four throughout this trilogy. Nothing yeah. will happen to them. Nope. And then she goes through that machine. I was like, okay, all bets are off. Well, um, five, I guess, if we were going to count the, the weirdo. But I guess he was probably going to be killed, too. I didn't one? think it was long for this world. Y- you know, um, the guy who decides to masturbate in the bathroom. when he Oh, no, he yeah, I figured he was dead. Yeah. Because um, he was, he, he was kind of like the odd man out in the group. But I was like, okay, yeah. he, he will die. But the main, these are going to be our main four. And they, they will be throughout the whole trilogy. And then all bets were off. Uh, so I really appreciated that. This movie also kept me guessing. What, what um, did throw me off a bit was that they they really drew out this kill. They had her screaming in the background quite a bit. You know, she gets stabbed. So we really just, we lie in wait hoping that she's going to survive for like quite a few minutes just to see her die in a horrible way. Welcome to slasher movies. Yeah, it's... No, it's goofier in part two. But that's that's where that's where to a certain point I feel a little bit uncomfortable. But the technical brilliance of the kill is something that I appreciate. So yeah, and then her, I thought they were related. I wasn't sure what her relationship was to weird cheerleader guy. Um, I I don't know. I guess they were just friends. Cause he's over at her house. Um, yeah. Oh, we should talk about that scene a bit. <laughs> so, um, valedictorian girl, or top of the class girl or something, maybe maybe they're 18? Or 17? Well, they would have to be, because they're graduating. Yeah, so I, guess, so I guess he must be, I don't know, we don't guess when they're ages, even so. Um, in this scene, we exit, we exited with these, these two girls who she's babys- babysitting. Um, she criticizes the guy for breaking in, in for like one of the coaches for breaking into the house and you know exposing the kids to danger. She says, "Wow, it's really messed up that they would do that to it while kids are around." All the while, she has this whole pile of drugs just on the dining room table right in front of them, and saying, "Hey, here's here's what they are. Don't eat them, guys." It's yeah, sometimes I, I get this mixed message that's going on, but I also realize, oh yeah, Shady Side is a, full of deviance. But I know that the movie tries to play it both ways in some ways, where we're supposed to try to feel bad about them for dying, which is understandable. At the same time, they weren't exactly the greatest people either, but at least they were there helping. Yeah. I, I get mixed messages with what the what the movie is trying to do. But I do know it's trying to send messages about its themes as well. So I'm wondering where the focus was in terms of plot writing. So yeah. So I guess we, this is a review, so it doesn't really matter for all over the place. But I'm, I guess just to run down the general story is uh, there was a witch in the early 16, the late 1600s, uh, who was killed for being a witch, um, and then buried, and now curses the town. From then point on throughout history, there have been brutal slayings in the town of, uh, what was it, Shady Town? Shady... Shady Side. Shady Side. And, uh, and which Sunnydale. is... Yeah. Well, which is in Ohio, apparently. Okay, yeah. Um, which is interesting, because a lot of... 
a lot of the big slashers take place in kind of the Midwest. Um, yep. And uh, so in 1994, uh, Dina is a mess. She's self-destructing, you know, pushing everyone away. Um, and w- during a prank gone wrong, they disturb the bones, which basically puts a target on her ex-girlfriend, Sam. And Sam's they have to... bleeding from the nose, and then the blood gets on the bones, and that's why the witch targets her in particular. Yep. You get the blood on the bones. Um, although that does make me wonder if the blood on the bones is what makes them you a target. What summoned them before then? Because we open with a kill. Yeah, and also, why does Dina's nose start bleeding first? Like, what triggers that exactly? Yeah, and I mean, some of this may be picked up in part three. Uh, If it is, we will acknowledge it. Yeah. Uh, but we have to go based on the information we have so far. Yeah. Um, unless, because it also, it, it seems like two things. It seems like you have the one where it's, if you bleed on the bones, she sends these people after you directly. But then in part two, which we'll get to here in a minute, it also kind of implies that she does this randomly too. Um. I might have to rewatch these when part three comes out, but the vengeance seems a little aimless in some ways, which I'm not. It is, but I think that's almost the point. She, there's no one specifically she's taking vengeance on because they explicitly say that her vengeance is on the town itself. Sure. So it might just be that it might just be random, and then we have this one instance where she has a specific target because of the blood on the bone. I suppose. But she'll kill Sunny Valers as well as Shady Siders, so... Yeah, she doesn't care. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I really enjoyed this. It's... I enjoyed it on just, just that level of I'm sitting back, you know, watching a movie, and it's like, it's a fun slasher. Uh, I didn't think too hard... I didn't think a lot about some of the themes, but I agree that they are in your face, uh, which I don't think is necessarily a terrible thing. Um, but for me, for me, what really worked in this movie was the characters and the kills. Um, I guess we should mention this is a hard R, or would be if it wasn't on Netflix. Uh, very bloody. Not a lot of sex in this one, though. They talk about it, but you don't see anything. Well, they almost get into it um, in the in the bathroom scene, like in our catharsis moment before the big climax. Um, Which isn't clear. the climax. Well, I mean, clearly, clearly our clown character, he clearly masturbated in the bathroom by himself, as he then admits. Um, the um, the nerd and the valedictorian didn't do anything, that apparently barely got to first base, and our lesbian characters definitely would have done something had they not gotten spooked. Um, but it's implied that they've done it before. And they would, and they'll do it again. So, it, it's definitely pr- sexual themes are definitely present there. Um, yeah, and, and, well, and I did see enough into part two where some characters are clearly having sex in the cabin. So, well, we'll we'll, we'll get to that because I I have a lot to say about that too. But uh, that actually makes sense because if this is aping like you know that '90s like Scream and stuff like that, there wasn't really any sex, and we talked about it. But they didn't have, like, the long, drawn-out sex scenes. Makes me feel a little uncomfortable with, like, apparently high schoolers doing this sort of thing. But then again, this is also adult actors playing something in high school saying it's not something that hasn't happened before in a horror slasher. He's going to hate me when we do the Friday the 13th movies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah. Uh, and then obviously this movie ends on a cliffhanger because uh, you think it's over, but then it's not because Sam is possessed. Yep. And I have to admit, I, I know you said you didn't like her, but I was kind of worried they were going to kill Dina. I was a little worried for a second. By this point, I started getting a bit more used to her character. Um, Wouldn't necessarily say I would miss her a whole lot, but it would have been sad because they they were trying to repair themselves. I think it was a little out of proportion because I think Dina is a bit more, um, I think she needs a much more repair than Sam does, but 
you know, that's a, that's a matter of opinion, I suppose. Yeah. Even though I well, <laughs> I think we've talked almost like almost an hour just about this one. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to move into the final thoughts. This is really good. This is not high art or anything, uh, but it is a fun, a fun time. It's a good, you know, what hour and 40 minutes or whatever. Um, it works well enough almost as a standalone movie, but it, there is a cliffhanger because it is part one of a trilogy. Uh, but I would consider all of these movies, not TV episodes. Um, I'm going to give this a four out of five. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Well, for me personally, I think there's elements that I enjoy, but I don't know if I enjoyed it as a whole exactly. I think that there's enough mystery around this to the point where, although it could have potentially been a standalone, it I think it was deliberately constructed as an episodic thing. Episodic in a very loose term, considering they're all really part one, part one, part two, and part three. And I find it's I think it's an interesting idea. I don't know. I think there could have been some tightening up in terms of writing. Um, good technical elements. I think there was decent pacing throughout it. I didn't get bored, certainly, which is that I think the depth of movies is boredom. So, it, and it definitely didn't do that. I don't know if I'd watch it again personally, but I'll give it some fair stuff. Uh, three out of five. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, as you as we mentioned this is that was part one of two the second one is fear street part two in 1978 uh so the basic setup of this is picking up where the first one left off um samantha is possessed tried to kill dina and they take her to uh the survivor of the nightwing camp massacre which is something that is briefly mentioned in the first one because like i said throughout basically history from 1666 until 1994 there have been killings all like constantly um and one of the survivor of the camp mass camp nightwing massacre who was played by gillian jacobs uh from community tells them the story of what happened at camp in 1978 and how she managed to get away from this witch um, and reveals a very important piece of lore, which is that the hand is buried in the mall, um, which is what she, what Dina thinks is the final piece needed to um, put uh, to rest. the witch to rest. I couldn't. I was trying to think of her name, but fuck it. Um, Fear, I think. Yeah. Fear, yeah. Get it? Because it's Fair Street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so Milton, I know you said you did. Uh, you didn't finish this one, which, like I said, is fine. Uh, I got what, around a third of the way into it. Um, okay. Yeah. Of what you saw, uh, what did you think? Well, um, I I think I like the setup to this a little bit more. Granted, I think I was getting used to more of the overt theme, in-your-face themes by this point. I guess I like the more traditional setting of like the slasher in like cabin in the woods kind of situation or like summer camp kind of style. Um, I think some of the uh, character architects were a little more prude, I suppose, but I didn't mind it so much. Um, I think I liked the, I think I, I think I actually liked the daytime theme that was present a bit more than the like really dark, like night theme that was very present in part one. A lot of this, a lot of the stuff that's present is actually very well lit, in terms of in terms of technical details. Where it's rather dark most of the time in the first part, so um, not not something that would determine a lot of people's enjoyment of it or not. But something I noticed that I liked. Um, I did notice that it goes along with the theme of we have the one character who's very self-destructive, you know, who turns out to survive. We also have another female who is also trying to do her best to try to get out of the shadow of shady side and actually trying to be a, you know, a responsible, productive, good person. And if I had to, and we, I'm seeing character parallels between things. We also have the comedic relief, like guy character, except now he's more of a victim than the guy was in the past part. I don't think we... I didn't see the nerd archetype, exactly. 
Uh, I guess I should say more of a supportive male figure, because we got a supportive male figure with the nerd in the park one. Mm-hmm. Whereas we have the uh, boyfriend character for, um, what's her name, the older sister in part two. So they're definitely going with theming in parallels here, uh, which I noticed. Yeah. I I feel like our main girl is very, very self-destructive, perhaps even more self-destructive than Dina is, to the point where she's just outright saying without saying, I hate my sister because I just have all this pent-up aggression and I don't know how to direct it properly or how to address it properly because I'm a teenager with a lot of angst. Um, and I think kind of well-placed uh, angst when you finally get some of her backstory. No, no, it's fair. Um, I think she's, it, she does not have the proper of parental or authority figures present to try to help, you know, discipline her and train her up to actually become a mature adult. You know, a theme that goes, that's very prevalent where, you know, the absent parental figures, you know, kind of lead to their children feeling lost. So I'm going to say a very conflicting thing because I really enjoyed this. Uh, almost like this part specifically was made for me. Uh, and Milton, I'm sure you've seen some of my movie tastes. So I, I you know, um, but I also, if I have one complaint, this is almost two hours long and 99.9% of it's filler for the overall narrative, uh, I should say. But taking yeah. on its own, I loved this. Uh, I am a very big fan of the Friday the 13th movies. Uh, I've got some plans coming up in the next couple of months for some of those. Uh, and this is aping that Friday the 13th. We're kind of, you know, we're sleazy and a bunch of teenagers at camp watching over kids. Uh, and, and you notice that this is a very different film. It has a very different energy. Um, the The camp looks like something out of Friday the 13th, or Sleepaway Camp. Um, and we broadcast right away. This is a very different kind of film, while also obeying the rules of the first movie. Uh, we're going to have, you know, you're going to have the gore that you want from the first movie. There's going to be sex. There's going to be drugs. We're an 80s horror movie. Yep. Which is weird to me that this is set in 1978. Because I would think you'd set this in the 80s. Well, it's, I don't know, but maybe close enough, I suppose. But, I mean, to a certain extent, quite a few films in the late 80s and late 70s were, like, bleeding into what the 80s or early 80s would be known for. So, I guess well, yeah. that's when I look at it in terms of style. Um, yeah, I just, because it, I would think if you're going to be doing, like, this is kind of a tribute to, like, Friday the 13th and Sleepaway Camp. You would do that when those movies came out, which is the early 80s. I mean, it's not a complaint. It was just something I thought was weird. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure why the year 1978 is particularly important to the filmmakers. Um, I don't know. It, it might be something we're missing here. We'll it might be. More research on. Uh, if, if anybody knows, let and you're watching this on YouTube, let us know in the comments below. Or again, let me know on Twitter if you're listening to this on Spotify. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed this. It's it's kind of just a slasher movie. Like once you get past the initial setup of you know Gillian Jacobs is telling this story, it's basically its own film, and it's just a slasher movie. Like you could cut off the beginning and end, and it's just an eighty slasher flick. To admit, the first time I saw her, I didn't recognize her as Gillian. Gillian? Gillian? I have no idea. If I'm uh, saying Jacob. it wrong, I apologize. Uh, Jacobs. I didn't recognize Jacobs at first, which actually, because I guess the lighting on her face just made her seem a lot more haggard. But yeah, well, but after looking, it's like, oh yeah, that's that's the, that's the girl from uh, Community. Shoot. <laughs> or or the voice actress from uh, Invincible. You know, depending on what you like about her stuff first or whatnot. She's yeah, great, act, great actress. Um, I really hope she gets more to do in part three. Yeah, because she doesn't. She doesn't get a whole lot to do in, She's, in this one. She is the narrative brain. Yeah. Um, which I think. That, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I should say which is fine. Um, but I'd like to see her do more in a slasher movie. 
Yeah, for me, maybe that goes into the idea of a bit of I maybe your sense of filler, because we are telling a prequel in terms of a narrative thing for the kid, for like, you know, the kids that she's talking to. So, of course, you're going to get to the point, well, when is the story going to get to the part that matters? It's the point where we explain, you know, where do we get to Sarah Fears involved? Where do we get to all this? But, of course, the filmmakers just want to have it. They want to have another movie where we sort of character architects who pit them against each other, and we do it all in the form of a flashback that goes into this, you know, developing the story of Shadyside versus Sunnyvale. So... In some ways, I understand, I think, what the movie makers are trying to do. I also think sometimes that maybe you're trying to do a little too much. Maybe cut out some of the fat and just try to get some focus, because I think you could probably tell these stories in two movies. And I think it would have been just as effective to tell a story that you want. It's hard to do with prequels sometimes in narration. It's a tricky thing to balance. Yeah. I mean, I, I will praise it for this. Once you get to the 70s and the main focus of this film, I I was thoroughly just enthralled because it's, you know, it's a throwback to those things that I love, uh, but it's not preachy about it. It's just like, look, we made something like that. It's not, hey, remember Friday the 13th? Um, although I will say it was a little on the nose that the killer is designed just like Jason uh, in part two. So I know you didn't get only about a third into the movie. Had they gotten to the He's killer the yet? sack guy with the axe, right, in part one. Yeah. I, I remember that from, like, the photo that, you know, the nerd put down in part one when he was describing the events. And if you've ever um, seen Jason in part two, he looks just like that, except he's wearing blue overalls. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I'll find a picture for you later. But, uh, yeah. Um, I'm glad these people love Friday the 13th as much as I do. <laughs> Uh, It's good that they have an appreciation for the material that helped make this horror genre the way it is. They clearly have reverence for the material that they're they're inspired by, which is more than I could say for other stuff that tries to do this one in a much more cynical way. So the other thing I have to appreciate um, is throughout the, throughout this. uh, So the two, the two, I guess you could argue main characters are the redhead. Um, and the boy that she's flirting with, who is the sheriff from the first movie. Yeah, Sheriff Good. I, I recognize him. Of course, we're getting into overt themes. Sheriff, sheriff Good, but with an E. So, But uh, they bond over Stephen King. Yeah. Because uh, they're both fans. Of and the flashbacks open with the girl being strung up and burned, and the bullies are straight out of a Stephen King book. Yeah, it's like we're it's like we're not we're not being subtle about anything here. These are this is the idea of the girl just being attacked by everyone else. She a little bit, but for the most part she does this because a lot of people just treat her like crap from the get go. Yep. Um I ended up liking her. Um I think they play her self destruction more more sympathetic than they do Dina's. But I think there is a parallel there. Um and there's there's also kind of that theme right of uh in this in Sunnyvale and Shady why can I never remember the name of this Shady Side. Shady Side. No, uh it, it's like they're stuck in a circle, right? Like yeah. they this town can't move on. They just keep repeating their past mistakes. Um and I assume that in part three, which will be in sixteen sixty six, we will see the same thing. You'll have the like angry damaged girl, the good good guy, the nerd, etc. Although I don't know what a nerd in like sixteen sixty six looks like, but whatever. Uh, really dedicated clergy kid who reads the Bible a lot and can quote scripture on the <laughs> the day. So so you, uh, yeah, well, you're a nerd not, from sixteen. Yeah. You're a nerd from sixteen sixty six. Not quite um, there yet, but, but um, oh, oh, thanks. But I, uh, I really liked the kills in this movie, but from what I remember, because like I said, I just saw this once, they don't have anything that tops the uh, popular valedictorian girl in part one. Because yeah. it's mostly just he has an axe. He puts that axe in people. Yeah, it's um, a weird thing where if we're doing parallels here, we have the 
the jokester male character and the druggie for all of the first part of the movie was trying to tell us about how we shouldn't look at these characters in terms of this vice of one being a drug dealer. Well, both of them being drug dealers. That's what we kind of remember about these character archetypes in part two. And we bring very similar themes of self-destruction to the point where I feel like these archetypes get weaker in 78 than they were in the first part. So I feel like the film's, trying to have its cake and eat it too with us trying to be sympathetic towards these people that are getting murdered, I think. It's, so. yeah, I mean, it's it's that Friday the 13th thing where they've written these characters to be kind of one-dimensional because they are there for the slasher to kill. But I don't care about this slasher. Uh, he's not Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger. Um, That's the one weakness. It's because it's more of an ensemble cast of like familiar character types that we know from other movies past, rather than us like looking very deep into the motivations of these people or where they came from. It's yeah. Sarah Fear that's I think is a much more interesting character because she keeps getting alluded to. I'm curious what happens in 1666. Although I will say, at the end of the day, I did end up liking the storyline between. Um... Jillian or Gillian uh, from Community and Sheriff Good. Because uh, there's a, for a moment there, you think, oh, you know, it's going to be that stereotypical ending of he, you know, he's, he was the one person who was nice to her, and by the end of the movie, they're in love. But it doesn't go that way. Um, so at the end of the movie, after everyone else is dead, uh, the ambulance carts her off, and he lies about what happened. Uh, oh, he just uh, pins it all on um, the killer. Real quick, before you go on, you're right, it was, it's Gillian Jacobs. Okay. Apparently. So. Um, I looked up the Sinek pronunciation. So. And it's kind of just like tra- a tragedy for that character, because she finally thought she had someone that she could trust. Um, and when she tried to tell people what happened, he kind of threw her under the bus. Uh, is the way it plays, um, because he wanted to be sheriff, and that was his destiny in the town. I liked the relationship between the sisters, too, because her sister uh, is who I thought was the main character for a bit. Um, It it seems like that for quite a bit. Of course, I can see, like, a dual protagonist, like, protagonist and deuteragonist kind of thing that was going on. Which I liked, actually. I like it quite a bit. I think if there's one thing I have with this movie over the first one is it handles that I just want to get out of this town. I want to be better, uh, a little bit better in this movie because she knows that that's what turned her sister against her, all of her friends. Like, she knew that would get, she would lose all of that, but she just needed to get out of this town after her mom, or no, and this one is backwards. It's in yeah. this one. Her dad left for someone half his age, and her mom turned into an alcoholic. And her sister hates her because she turned into a goody two shoes. She lost her best friend, etc. But admittedly, though, if she doesn't get her act together, she can't support her sister. And her sister hates her anyway, which makes it harder for me to like. The redhead sometimes, but I also understand because teenagers are just awful. Because I guess they're bound to be awful people in these movies, unfortunately. Well, see, but the way they played it wasn't she that she did it for her sister. It's she kind of threw her sister to the side too. Okay, I see. Um, My perspective's incomplete, unfortunately, but I can I can see that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and then the end of this movie, after the story is done, she goes to bury the hand, she reunites the hand with the body, and then somehow she's in 1666. Yeah, which is odd, but, I mean, I'm up for seeing something a bit more from the protagonist's point of view. But I well, and I don't think also... we've ever really done a slasher in that time period. Hmm. I'm up for some cool, like, 1600s kills. That seem it it does seem interesting. I I think we've seen this sort of thing before where usually 
in the t in terms of how these things are structured, I mean, you originally called a lot of these questions like a whodunit. I feel like this idea is taking the the thing of a mystery with like trying to explain why things are the way they are. Who is Sarah Fear? Was she a witch? Did she become a witch as a result of what the town was doing? Did the town make a witch out of her, or something? You know, I I really hope it's that because I love this in movies where it's you try to stop something from happening and in, in doing so cause it to happen. Or you um, try to do something to explain away something that's inconvenient for the town to recognize, but you end up creating the thing that you falsely accuse this person of doing or something. Because, I mean, doesn't, but doesn't that sound interesting? They think oh, that she's a witch, so they try to kill her because she's a witch, but in doing so, make her a witch. Could it be interesting? Um... I would definitely love to see it from like a the protagonist's point of view rather than it being told to us through narration this time. I think that might be a better structured thing for this part three, especially if this is going to be the last part. Well, and it It'll does help look keep like the, flow of the story going. And it does look like this isn't going to be a narration because she's literally in the 1600s. Yeah. Uh, oh, and that's the other thing. So the movie ends with her being in the 1600s. She looks up and somebody calls her Sarah. So I think the protagonist is going to be the witch in this third part. Yeah, I think she's, in a state of irony, has possessed Sarah Fear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really don't have a lot to say to this one. This is mostly just like a love letter to those 80s uh, slasher movies, whereas, you know, the 1994 was kind of a love letter to the Scream and its ilk. Um, so I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I think it is a step down from the first one, even though maybe on just like a like on a fun level, I think I like this one better because it's more suited to my sensibilities. Um, and honestly, like I said, I don't have a whole lot to say other than what I've already said. Uh, I'm we might come back to two with when we do three and just be like, hey, you know, this was built off of this. Uh, but Milton, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, I'll finish it so I can get a full context for part when we see part three. All right. So I'm going to give this a 3.5 out of five. Uh, I still thoroughly enjoy this, but I think as a film, the first one is more focused. This one is just filler. Like we got to fill in some backstory. Uh, and I hope that part three isn't like that. So, uh, before we head out, um, and Milton will give his review next week or his score. Not next week, sorry. Um, that will be the week after next because we're doing... Any uh, predictions for part three? Well, you're asking me to do that with that when I haven't finished part two yet, so <laughs> we'll see. Um, no, I mean, we probably discussed maybe uh, Dina kind of like living through Sarah Fear and kind of seeing what happened. Um, I I think so Sarah's going to end up being innocent. Well, as innocent as she could be under the circumstances, and then rather vindictive, considering the injustice of the situation. Yeah, it would be interesting if the Sunnyvillers were really responsible, because then I think that would be fitting more into the theme that the filmmakers are trying to do. But if Shadyside really is responsible for its own problems, then I guess this town gets what. It has what deserves <laughs> what's sense. happening to it. So it's like, uh, I want to feel sorry for you guys, but you kind of did this to yourself. Well, and just like, uh, I don't know if you read Goosebumps as a kid, but Goosebumps always had this kind of tone of like black humor to it or dark humor. Um, and in a way, I don't, I can't think of anything more dark humorous than Sunnyvale did this to Shadyside, but she's taking out her punishment on Shadyside because she thinks that's who. If 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 they would be aware of the dark humor of that, I'd be into that. Um, but they've been fairly serious so far, so I'm, I don't think they'll take that sort of tone. But who knows? We'll see. Um, I meant to say this at announcements as well. Milton alluded to it. We are going to be delaying the part three review uh, with Psycho Gorman by a week. Because, of course, rest in peace, Richard Donner. Yep. We're going to take a look at his classic, The Omen, 
Uh, and we are going to pair that with The Exorcist, two films I have never seen. I have seen The Exorcist before. I have not seen Omen. A film that Milton's seen that I haven't. What a shock. <laughs> and I'm not even being sarcastic on that one. Um, and then the other thing I want to announce is Milton, Austin and I have a little thing we're planning uh, just for you. Mm-hmm. Me and him are going to do a you made, We Made You Watch in the near mm-hmm. future. He has selected Overlord, and I have selected Return of the Living Dead. Because uh, I don't think you've seen either of those films. I've seen Overlord. I have not seen Return of the Living Dead. Uh, okay, you've seen Overlord. Okay. Well, I would like to see it again, though. So that will probably be in the first, at least we've got, what, like four or five episodes planned. Uh, so that may be in a month or two. But I figured I'd let you know, uh, let the audience know that is something we are planning. Uh, but yeah, over uh, the Exorcist and the Omen next week, and then we will get back to this with part three and Psycho Gorman, uh, two 2021 films, and then we are going to do that Resident Evil anime, and I believe the only other thing left to cover is the Babysitter and uh, fuck, I forgot the name of it, but there's it's like two different Babysitter horror movies. We'll make it a mystery. Yeah, it's a mystery. But, uh, yeah, thank you guys for hanging out. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Spotify. The links are on the YouTube channel description. And if you're listening on Spotify, we appreciate you guys. We'll talk to you later. Have a good one, guys. I think it went pretty well, all things considered. Yeah, not too bad. Despite the fact that I didn't finish the second.